Folks, these things are burning in my heart. I don't pick and choose my sermons, and the Holy Ghost does. I trust him. I trust him every night. So with all these young people, there, why don't you preach to young people? Well, because they ain't different than you. <laughs> Their body just hadn't got bigger. <laughs> and some of you's bodies got snow on the roof, and you're as much a child of God as these little children. <laughs> that book's good for all of us. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Young people ain't dumb, and old people ain't smart. It ain't no age category sermons. I've never believed that. We all need help. And that eternal word will hit these boys right here like it'll hit any senior saints in here. And it'll hit the senior saints in here and help them just like it might a young person. This thing ain't got nothing to do with time. It's an eternal book. You're an eternal being. This is not a time book. This is an eternal book. Somebody said, well, why don't you go down to the children's level? Well, why don't you come up to a Christian level? (laughs) You ain't got to go down to their level. Young people believe God quicker than anybody. I ain't got a verse telling preachers to go down to a children's level, but I got a verse telling adults to come down to a childlike level. I got a verse where he said, if y'all are going to get any of this, you're going to have to come like little children. What about that? The Lord wanted preaching around here this week. Mm, 1 Samuel 30. I'm going to read this. We got back last night in chapter 27, verse 1, where Saul had... One of the most noble, righteous acts in chapter 26 where he could have took Saul's life, but he did not. And that seemed to be where we dwelt last night. Then in chapter 27, verse 1, he gave up. He gave up the struggle and the fight. And God's putting that in our heart these days. Uh, Me and you do not live in exciting or eventful times as some centuries have been. They're not burning us at the stake out here. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's serving the Lord every day. It's day in and day out. We're not living in a miracle season. Some of you might have quite eventful days. I don't know, but, oh... You can sure get tired of the struggle that seems to never end. And the Lord wants somebody to not quit. (laughs) All of us actually to not quit. I thought about Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, that's coming. Well, he got in a mess. He quit. And and he went and joined the Philistines. That was unbelievable. He got tired of Saul. He joined the Philistines. And then he got overrun by Amalek. He was with the wrong bunch. 
went to live with the Philistines, even went to battle with them, teamed up with them. See chapter 29, verse 3. What do these Hebrews hear? Some of them said, it's not this David. He's over there living with them. It's really unbelievable. And uh, look in chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Uh, the king of the Philistines there in those days, their leader, Achish, look in verse 2 of chapter 28. David said, Surely thou know what thy servant can do. Good night. The future king of Israel just told the Philistines and he'd done killed a bunch of them. He said, I'm your servant. And look what Achish said. To David in chapter 28, verse 2. Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Oh, my goodness. David has got tired of running from Saul, and so he left everything, joined in with the Philistines, and said, I'm, I'm your servant. And the head of the Philistines said, I'm going to make you my main man from now on. You don't hear this part of his story talked about much, do you? Isn't that unbelievable? Did y'all know that backsliding spells are liable to come upon all of us and if you ain't careful? He had already killed a giant, people. Hey, just because you killed a giant don't mean you may not quit one day. Don't hang everything on that head that's trophy hanging on your wall. Look what I did one time. Better look at what you're doing today. I was a teenage preacher boy. There's a few little things I could hang my uh, hat on. I, I pastored in the 90s and God did miraculous things. I mean, really did. We could write a book about it, but I got news for you. I can't take you back to the 90s and say, look what I was. I got to stand right here today and say, what am I right now? Come on now. Oh, my. Take heed. You think you stand. He'd played the harp in the king's throne room. Back in 1 Samuel 17 and 18, he played the harp in the king's throne room. Let's be real careful of banking on what we've done. <laughs> I got to throw this in here. Let's just bank on what he's done. Let's hang our hat maybe on the cross. And if, and if there's anything that maybe somebody wants to pin a medal on us that took place in our past, let's just kind of do this. You know God's the one really did that and he let me do that, so let's just pass on all this and give him the glory. Amen! Amen. Amen. We've got enough boasting about what we've done and been. I don't like that. That's not good. That's not good for any of us to do. Churches ought not talk about we were a great church. We're a great church. We've been 80 years a great church. Well, okay, what are you today? I know some men, if they had 40 years, they'll say 50 years, 53, okay. 
How about let's just wait till we get to the judgment seat of Christ and let him talk about what was done. And he will. What was done for Christ will last. But let's just wait till we get to the other side and let him talk about all that. There's really not a place down here to talk about what we were and what we did. All that's for the judgment seat of Christ. We don't need to even recognize it till then. Occasionally honor people. Honor your parents for what they've done for you. Take every once in a while and honor your preacher, you know, for what he's done faithful. And, and the preacher and the people ought to honor folks occasionally for, you know, just to encourage them. But let's not go around stacking up trophies just yet. Let's wait till we get to the other side. Here he is. What a mess. Mm, Move to Gath. Look in chapter 27 and verse... Three. Don't y'all enjoy my mental disorders. There are lots of folks quit medicating all that. You're missing out on a lot of fun. <laughs> Chapter 27, verse 3. Good night. He moved to Gath. The end of verse 2, under the king of Gath. Verse 3, and David dwelt with Achish at Gath. Oh, my goodness. Verse 4, and it was told, I'm in chapter 27, verse 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. Well, I reckon not. Gath is the land of the giant. A stronger devil's got you so a lesser devil can quit chasing you. That ain't no good. Well, I've got away from Saul. Yeah, from the frying pan into the blessed fire. Back to the land of giants. Can I tell you something, brother? You'd run from Saul and go back to something worse than Saul. Saul couldn't whip Gath. Saul couldn't whip that fella from Gath. He couldn't whip Goliath. When Saul and Goliath squared off, Saul could not and would not go after the giant from Gath. And so you be real careful about running from a bad thing. You'll get into a worse thing. Joined the Philistines, moved to Gath. Now he's with the wrong bunch and he's in the wrong battle. All that's in chapter 29. So look in chapter 30, verse 1. It came to pass, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. Now they'd been off in battle teamed up with the Philistines. They returned home. When they come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. 
and had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Mm. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Look up here at me one minute. Yeah, he got away from Saul, but then he had to live at Gath and, and serve the Philistines, and then the Amalekites come in and took everything he had. Yeah. Folks, you try to make things better by quitting and ducking out and escaping. I'm tired of this fight. I'm tired of this battle. We're just going to quit church. We're just going to quit serving God. I've done, Listen, where I live, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I imagine it's all the way around here too, there's 10,000 times 10,000 has-beens, used-tos. You know what I've seen? They've lost their families. Yeah, they got tired of church fights and they got tired of spiritual struggles. But brother, now they're living at Gath and having to serve Philistines and the Amalekites have taken everything they had. Right here, make a note, you got a picture of the, the world, you got a picture of the devil and you got a picture of the flesh. Our three enemies. Saul would be a picture of Satan. And the Philistines would be a picture of the world. And Amalek is a picture of the flesh. I'm not going to take time and prove that tonight. You go study the Amalekites and, the, and uh, Amalek. And every time you see them operating against God's people, it seems like they are a picture of the flesh. It could be, maybe we should say Gath. Land of strongholds and devils. Folks, you try to get out of that wilderness experience with Saul and you're going to end up with the world, the flesh, and the devil taking over everything. Stay in the fight. Stay in the struggle. Look at this. Now, come to the message tonight. We're in verse 6. It's a turning point, the end of verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It's a turning point. He'd been going down and down and down and down until he got all the way down and the Amalekites had taken everything he had. He hit the bottom. And then this little phrase, you can circle it, underline it, it's a turning point. From that point on, everything goes back up till he's on the throne. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Read on. We're still reading the text. Verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought this is the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord. That's kind of a prayer mantle. 
prayer robe thing coming out of the temple. David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. (laughs) So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. And as the thing goes on, the story goes on. In verse 17, please go to verse 17. He catches up with the enemy and David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And verse 18 is amazing. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives and There is nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to tell you right now, that's the amazing grace of God. I'm not expecting to see that as I read it. I'm expecting to read it like this. So the Amalekites came and took it all and then David lost it all and then his story was done and God had to find another king. David took one little pivot, encouraged himself, went to the priest, went to prayer, got a hold of God, followed God and the man who had absolutely lost it all recovered it all and in three chapters was king. Oh, y'all ain't helping me. That's mind-boggling. <laughs> and in three chapters in your Bible, he's king. I'm thinking it's over. I'm thinking it's completely done. You ain't coming back from teaming up with Philistines and groveling at Gath and Amalekites taking your entire family. They ain't no coming back from that unless you know how to do something. Go look for God. And it said he recovered all. That blows my mind. Oh my. I want to talk about it now. Recovered all. Mm. What did he turn to? He turned to the Lord. Underline this in verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let's parse this for a minute. But David encouraged himself. Now, I'm going to give you my five little points here. Well, let me give you three things first. I thought this was pretty good. Ready? I wrote this now. It blessed my heart, and I realized I was the one that wrote it down. Ha <laughs> ha! the joy of living over half a century. You run into yourself occasionally. How you doing? Fine. Wonderful. You're a blessing. Thank you. Get off that medication, people. Life's fun when they several of you. You're never lonely. <laughs> David, three things. I'm going to say it in 15 seconds. David was out of place. That's right. If one thing we could mark in this thing for several chapters, he was out of place. Yeah. He was out of place. But 
three things. He was out of place, but he was not out of grace. Yeah, <laughs> Woo, look at me wanting to preach two hours. Yes, I am. Aren't you glad for Romans 5, 20? Oh, yeah. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what all bound means? All prefix. All prefix meaning no, none. To all null and make it no, none. All millennialist, no millennial, none. All bound, no boundaries. The nature of sin is to go beyond the boundaries, have no boundaries. There's just no boundaries. How far you go, you can go. In sin. And so I don't care how far you went. Y'all are running ahead of me. Where sin went past the lines, transgressed, and went way out here. And wherever you finally stopped, with no boundaries, wherever you finally stopped, something went past you. I'm about to get happy. Where sin went beyond the boundaries, grace did much. And you were sitting there, went as far as you could in your sin, sitting there hurting and dying and in a horrible condition. And something went past you, grace did much more all bound and came back and grabbed you up and carried you all the way back to Calvary. Huh? So where sin did all bound. Grace and much more. You'll never go further than His grace. It's going to go further than you went. Hallelujah. And when in that three hours of darkness, uh, the worst, the chiefest of sinners that ever lived, or the furthest that the worst sinner ever went, Jesus went just a little further. In that three hours of darkness, he went to the worst one and got on the other side and came back and got all of us and picked us up and carried us to a land not inhabited and dealt with our sin. He was out of place, but he wasn't out of grace. He was out of place, but he wasn't out of the race. Looked like he was, and he is still in that thing. He was out of place. But he wasn't out of space. There was a little space of grace. He had a little wiggle room. (laughs) So I'll give you five things right now. What did he turn to? Number one, said that David encouraged himself in the what? He turned to what he had already proved. He knew how to do this. That day facing the giant. Saul said, take my armor. Eliab said, take my advice. And Saul said, take my armor. David said, I ain't proved these, but I'll tell you what I have proved, a little sling and a little rock. He knew how to do this. Hey, folks, y'all need to thank God for all them early experiences. Do you know the things that God allowed to happen to you early on was because of what was really going to happen to you later on? Oh, yeah. 
the journey you've been on has to do with the journey that's in front of you. God knows what he's doing. He said, I'm going to go with what I've proved. And he got to a point right here and he said, the only thing going to work is I've got to get back to God. Amen. You know what it said? Does it say, in the, but David encouraged who? Himself. Now this just runs me right to the prodigal son in Luke 15. I don't care what a Calvinist tells you. Nobody went to him. Calvinists tell you, you're laying there dead in your sins and God has to come to you. They'll even tell you God saves you and then you repent and experience conviction. Watch them rascals. Watch them now. And Calvinists showed up in the Reformation and they popped back up on Facebook. (laughs) Every third post. (laughs) Oh, my. Nobody nobody came to him. (coughs) His mama didn't go to him. Can I get a witness? Did the prodigal's mama go to him? I've seen folks, and you have too, the only reason people can't ever get no deliverance, you keep delivering them before they get delivered. You got to quit bailing them out, people. They got to sit in jail all month. I'm sorry. Got to quit fixing it for them. In my book on the aggravating things in the church that we need to smack upside the head, Country Mamas is chapter 3. I don't know any city moms. They may be just as bad. I don't know. Huh? You won't fuss out your child, but you'll fuss out your preacher for fussing out your child. Ruh-roh, I done got the meddling on a Tuesday night. Going to need extra chili at Waffle House tonight. Huh? Country mamas. Mama bear. Won't even let your husband discipline his own children. You discipline your husband instead of letting your husband discipline your children. You punish him instead of letting him punish them. I'm fit to sign my own Bible. I'm fit to tell you, they don't have a pen. The only reason it didn't happen. Huh? Anyhow. Yeah. That prodigal, mama didn't go to him. Father didn't go to him. You can't fix folks that don't want fixing. And for the Calvinists, the Holy Spirit didn't go to him. One man went to him. Y'all tell me who it was. He came to himself. See, y'all thought I was crazy for talking about me. <laughs> he came to himself. Everybody turn to 1 Timothy. And as soon as you get there, go to 2 Timothy. <laughs> Looked at my notes. 2 Timothy. <laughs> Sometimes I have to correct me. 2 Timothy. <laughs> he laughed too, brother. He laughed. Second Timothy, chapter two, 
Hmm, here it comes again. We're going to be bipolar all night. Second Timothy 2. David encouraged himself. The prodigal son, when he came to himself. Watch this. Y'all in 2 Timothy 2. Verse 24. Well, let's get verse 23 just for good measure. While we're having a preaching week, let's just get verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do come from yo-yo knuckleheads. <laughs> Sorry, that's the original word study. Knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, here comes, in meekness, instructing those that what? Y'all thought I was making up that stuff. There are some people, the only person standing in their way is their self. You, you got to use meekness with these people because they're full of their self. There can't be two people in the room full of pride. They're already full of pride. Amen. They're already full of ignorance. They are their own problem and they don't even know it. The greatest enemy is the inner me. Saul was not David's biggest problem. Goliath was not David's biggest problem. Philistines, Achish was not David's biggest problem. Gath, giants was not David's biggest problem. Amalek and his Amalekites were not David's biggest problem. David's only problem was he listened to himself in 27.1. David said in his heart, he was his own problem, so he became his own solution. And he encouraged himself. Ain't nobody going to help some folk until they want help. And then they can act so bad, so, uh, there's a word I won't need. They can act so stupid so long that God may not even help them. Read on. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let me tell you something. You keep being your own problem, and you keep being your own problem, and you keep listening to yourself, and you keep listening to yourself, you're going to get in a place where the devil can have his way with you. And God may not even help you. Pretty stout, isn't it? Well, it's the Bible. Well, what should, that scares me. What should I do? Quit acting stupid. <laughs> Get out of your own way. Quit making all these patient, gentle, meek people trying to help you and listen to somebody and humble yourself and get right with yourself and get right with your God. So everybody in the world... Had, can quit babying you and handling you with kid gloves because you're so volatile and apt to go off. Come on now. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know how to tell you this. 
You can fix a lot of your own problem because you are your own problem. You said, now, Brother Dean, we're in here on a Tuesday night. We don't need this. That's because we listen to preaching like this. You say, I know who needs this, but they ain't here. Well, why do you think they need it? Because they ain't here. Somebody said, dear brother, went to the altar about every service. Said, my goodness. Do you need it that bad? He said, well, I don't get to need to get to where I do need it that bad, so I stay down here where well, I need it that bad, so I won't need it that bad one day. Amen. Did that make sense? <laughs> I'd rather haul myself to the altar every night than they have to drag me down here one day dead and put me in front of this pulpit. Y'all see that? In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves. There is hope. In what? Look at the words in front of you. If they will acknowledge the truth, they'll be able to recover themselves. And then I don't think the devil will be able to take them captive at his will anymore. Look at this verse carefully. If they would acknowledge the truth, walk it backwards, then God would give them repentance. And then they'd get out of their own way. And the devil, who right now can take them captive anytime he wants to, they'll be able to be recovered from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you better get your act together before it's too late. Amen. Esau floundered around, and when he went looking for a place of repentance, he sought it carefully with tears. It could not be found. You don't want to wait till you're at that point. Now, that particular passage in Hebrew, let's run over there, Hebrews 12. Y'all enjoying your Bible tonight? Hebrews 12. There have been a lot of folk quake and tremble and fear that they've went too far and can't get right with God because of this passage in Hebrews 12 and the end of verse 17, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And somebody takes that passage and says, and and they're in great agony, in great anguish of soul, I'm afraid I've gone too far and God won't save me. That ain't what we're talking about. That ain't what this passage is talking about. Did y'all know Esau wasn't trying to get saved? Esau had the same kind of regret that Judas had. He wasn't sorry that he had sinned against God. He's sorry he lost his inheritance. Judas bet on, gambled on the wrong side. He thought Jesus was going down and Pilate was going up. And then when he realized that he had 30, he tried to play both sides. And when he saw what he had done, 
He went to the wrong high priest. He wasn't sorry for his sin. He's sorry for the consequences of his sin. Esau was not sorry for his sin. He was sorry he lost his inheritance. You go back to the book of Genesis, very simple. He was crying not to his God, but to his daddy. And he was crying to his daddy, give me my inheritance back. The prodigal son, he went back, did not ask for his inheritance. He said, I don't even want to try to be your son. Let me be a servant. Are y'all with me? If you sit there and you're scared to death and think that you're not saved and that you can't be saved and all you want with all your hearts to be saved and you think you've crossed the line and it scares you to death that you're not saved and can't be saved because you're afraid you're in this verse, you're not. Because if it bothers you, you ain't there. People that God has turned over to a reprobate mind, they're reprobates. They'd come by and forgive me, but they'd spit on this service. They would laugh in our face. They're not in a corner crying, sincerely crying. Oh, I wish I could get right. I wish, but I'm afraid. No, people acting like that, there's still hope. An actual reprobate, an actual reject of God who has crossed the line and God's done with them, they're done with God. They mock God, they curse God, they laugh at this, they mock this, they spit on this. I know J. Harold Smith preached God's three deadlines and the way he preached it was right. But if you're, if you're still wanting God, and He hadn't turned your heart to stone, I needed to say that. Mm. Go to Galatians six one. I'm about to wrap it up. How y'all doing? I'm enjoying this this good Bible study right here. Galatians 6. Mm. Do y'all still have a finger back in our text? Because I need to show you something. Can you leave a finger in Galatians 6 1? Okay. You don't have to detach that digit, but leave a finger there. Thank you for the four people that get my twisted humor. I appreciate you. I apologize to the rest of you, but I ain't changing. Sorry, the four people's going to enjoy it. So leave a finger in Galatians 6. And I got to show you something. Y'all ready? 1 Samuel 30. That's not too much to ask Baptists, is it? They have two scriptures in there. Okay, 1 Samuel 30. Mm, mm. Mm. I'm actually going to leave a hanky in Galatians 6. Sorry, I wasn't able to pull off the two-finger thing. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He, he turned to what he had proved before. He knew that God was the one thing he could count on. Yeah. 
Do y'all remember that other time David numbered the people? It made God so upset that God came and going to destroy Jerusalem. Do you remember God came to him and said, three choices. Folks, David, everybody still with me? David had two great sins that are outstanding above anything else. And you all know Bathsheba. He lusted after woman flesh. But when he numbered the kingdom, he gloried in man power. He lusted after woman flesh and he gloried in man power. And one was the sin of passion and the other was the sin of pride. And the sin with Bathsheba brought great trouble in his family. But the sin of pride nearly destroyed the nation. And do you remember that when God came to judge him? Gave him three options? I don't quite remember. Y'all help me remember. I'm going to turn you over into your enemies. I'm going to send a great plague on the people. And the third one, I don't quite remember. We can look it up or you may already know. Anybody remember what it was? Sir? Yeah, I believe you're right. Appreciate you reading your Bible. I'm gonna, I'll get back to reading mine. <laughs> I got a bunch of them. I guess I ought to read some of them. There was just three options. Hey, hey, you know what David did? David said, uh, none of the above or all of the above. He said, Lord, I'm just going to cast myself in your hand. You choose. He said, I'd rather put myself in the hand of God than in the hand of man. I'm about to run, y'all. This is something he had proved. When the lion and the bear came, he said, God, you got to help me. Huh? That giant laughed at him. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God. Telling y'all, this is something he had proved. What did he prove? God. I'm just going to turn to God. I'm just going to turn to God. God will be enough. I can trust God. I had a man weeping today. Be careful here. Some of it's horrible. He told me what his daddy did to him. And his daddy was a pastor. He told me what his great uncle did to him. Tried to murder him. When he was 14. He told me what his youth pastor did to him. He had to go to prison for him. He said all that before I was 15. And he said, I don't trust anybody. He said, I want to, but I don't trust anybody. And I said, that's not a problem. Bible said, never, Bible never said, you got to trust people. <laughs> Show me that verse. <laughs> Bible don't say trust your enemies. What does it say? Love your enemies and pray for them. I was sitting with him and another preacher this morning. I said, uh, I don't trust either one of you. You're sons of Adam. I said, there's a real rascal at this table y'all better not trust. It's me. Whoever said we're supposed to trust men? We're just supposed to love men. 
I'm going to trust God. Y'all, please don't put your trust in me. I mean, I really, I really pray and hope, and I'm going to pray to God and I make the right choices the rest of my life so I don't let these boys down and these girls. Huh? I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let them down. But they ain't. Young and sitting here, don't put your trust in Dean McNeese or in Chris Simpson or in nobody in this room. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you can continue to have confidence in us. Every man's a liar and God only true. Trust the Lord. Amen. Amen. That boy put his, that man put his head down and wept for 10 minutes today. He said, that's cleared up a lifetime of strife in my heart. <laughs> Ooh, we, we had church over Cracker Barrel cornbread, which ain't hard to do. <laughs> Biscuits and honey over there and some gravy. Woo, how could you not? I may have spoke in tongues a little. I had a mouthful of gravy. It was on a reason. Oh, my. Woo. Y'all ain't got to trust people. To love them. I love y'all. You're deep in my heart. He's so deep in my heart. He's one of about four young men that mean more to me than the world. Outside of my son, there's about four young preachers in the last 30-something years of ministry. <laughs> there's about four preachers that I count. <laughs> He's one of them. And y'all, so y'all are deep in my heart. I'm not good with your names, but trust me, I know your face I know your family. I know you. I ain't trying to remember your name. I got cousins. I don't know who they are. I just say, hey, cousin. I do. Good Lord, I look at my own kids sometimes. I say, uh, kid number two, get over there. That's a true story. Look liable to give them a complex. Kid one, hush. Kid three, behave. They'll have a complex. They'll get over it. Or they'll enjoy the three extra people with them when nobody else is in the car. <laughs> Who said you got to trust people? Where'd you get that? What, you been watching Oprah? Did you go to college, study psychology? You women been listening to the women that cut your hair? Huh? Where are you getting all that junk from? Won't you get in the Bible? I don't trust anyone. Well, you probably got good sense. <laughs> Look at Esau. What a mess he was, a bitter root. Come back here, y'all in 1 Samuel 30. You got a finger in Galatians 6. I've got a hanky there. 
David encouraged himself. Almost done tonight. He turned to what he'd proved. He turned to a priest, verse 7, and David said to Abiathar the priest, Hey, y'all, just five seconds if you get it. Aren't you glad? And we're have joined the Philistines, <laughs> moved in with our giants, and the flesh has taken everything we got. Ain't you glad we have a priest we can turn to? <laughs> To obtain mercy Amen. and find grace to help in time of need. We have a priest. Bring me the ephod. And he inquired of the Lord. He turned to prayer. <laughs> Ain't you glad we can turn to prayer? I need to say something about prayer. You ain't got to know how to. You just got to know to. You ain't got to know how to pray. You just got to have enough sense to pray. Nobody knows how to pray. The fellas telling you that they know how to pray are telling you that you don't know how to pray. And the fellas teaching on prayer is implying that nobody can pray. I got news for you. You need to burn all your books on prayer and just go get along with God. Amen. And burn all your, I, I'm telling preachers this the last two years, it's upsetting some of my friends. But they're okay. They'll be okay. They need to quit trusting men. I've been telling all my preacher friends, burn all your books on revival. They're, they're just telling you why you can't. And burn all your books on prayer because you don't need them. You just need to step away from the rest of us for a minute and look upward. Yeah, man. Irritates me. That's sign language for irritates me. It is in my sign language world. Irritates me. Getting the service. Heavy spirits, you know. Half the time, that's just us being silly. Heavy spirits. Well, what do you want? I'm going to get some of you that know how to pray. If you know how to pray, come down here. <laughs> I'm always like, do, do, I think, I'm pretty sure I've been praying my whole life. I don't know if I know how. I, am I in this category or not? Maybe I'll just halfway stand up. I don't know. I ain't sure what the man means. Those of you that know how to get a hold of God. <laughs> All right. Blub, blub, blub. I'm going down. Lord, save me. <laughs> There's a prayer life. I don't know what what is a turkey bird talking about. I suppose I always tell him say the heathen think they shall be heard for their much speaking. That's the truth. Man said, Abraham from twenty five years and something like that. Okay, okay, that sounded very Percy Rayish. How about the minute you got saved, he sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. I'm feeling to come down here and see y'all. I got all worked up. You know who's the, the quickest person in this room to get their need met? 
is the baby. We probably don't even have one in here. Are they in the nursery? Is there a baby in the nursery? There's a baby in his house. In his too? Yeah. And over in the nursery. All right, if we had one of them babies out here. He, pastor said maybe, Sister Heather, can bring the baby on Sunday. She's feeling good enough. And if she was to sit in here, guess who would know how to get their need met quickest? Nah. Four mamas, six grandmas, three aunts, five tender-hearted men, <laughs> which I would be in that group. I'd be like, let's help that baby. Huh? The kid don't know how to talk. The kid ain't old enough to be a kid. It don't know the ABCs. It don't even know it's crying. And the little baby that has no idea what even A or B is will cry and get its need met quicker than anybody in here. Do you know who is the least liable to get their need met in here tonight? Probably us old ones. Because we know too much. We know ourselves. We know people. We know our experiences. And we're going to be the last ones to cry for help. We're afraid to tell people what we need. You be real careful with that making people prayer experts. Do you know who's liable to get their need met quickest? And here's the youngest baby Christian just says, ah! And God swoop right down. What you want, what you need, come here. Those of us that figure out how to pray and how to get a hold of God and got seven books on prayer. <laughs> and telling everybody else why they can't talk to God. Five reasons he won't hear you. Four reasons that you can't get through it all. Oh, hogwash, buzzard, puke, gag, a maggot off a of gun. I'm sorry, that's Ed Blue. That was Ed Blue. That wasn't me, that was Ed Blue. The littler the child, the more honest. That little girl between you two. See, she's wanting something for you right now. She is. She's tired. <laughs> that preacher's going long. She's a little tired, maybe a little hungry. Wants to move around a little. She ain't scared to let you know that. She ain't worried about what nobody here thinks. She's letting you know how she feels. <laughs> Probably can't read out of an encyclopedia yet. This one on the right here, see. She got the hurting, hungry or something. She'll let y'all know on that pew. Everybody on that pew and anybody behind her. Hey, let's help her. 
But me and you, brother, see, we there's gray. We hide our needs. What will somebody think? What will somebody say? I've been here before and people hurt me. and God doesn't always do what I tell him. He doesn't always do what I ask him. And we're the least liable. That's prayer. I'm sick of the deep south prayer experts. Hush and get out of the way. And let little youngins cry. Let God's youngins cry. Favor them in that spot. All of you think you know how to pray? Please go to the parking lot. Your expertise is getting in the way. Those of you who have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you're in a real mess, meet me at the altar. And let's come like little children. That's right. Everybody wrote a book on prayer and revival, please. We're in North Carolina. Go light up somewhere. Boys, don't. Huh? Does that make sense? That's one of the reasons we can't have good services. You get too many preachers together. They all know how to have a good service. But none of them know how to have a God service because they're trying to have a good service. Drop the whole shooting match. Quit your churches, burn your churches. Go sit in the barn for a month and figure out you don't know how to do none of this. And then crawl back in with God's people and just see if the Lord helps us. All these people know how to pray, know how to have revival, know how to have church. It's a mess. you got to come like a little child. So turn to prayer. Turn to a priest. I'm nearly done. Is that the second time I said I was nearly done? I've been up here about one hour right now. I'm going to show you one thing and we're done. He turned to what he proved. He turned to a priest. He turned to a prayer. Oh, man, i got some more good stuff here. He turned to pursuit. Shall I pursue? Verse 8, pursue. Pursue. (laughs) Go get them. Shall I pursue? Pursue. Get back in the race. Old mountain preacher. Did I already tell you all this? I've told everybody I've seen for a week. Old mountain preacher, a week ago, He said, I wrote a poem when I get discouraged. He pulled out a piece of paper. This is just a week ago. He said, I'm going to read it to you. This is when I get discouraged and distressed. I'm going to read this paper, the poem I wrote. He said, the name of the poem is Go On. And he said, he began to read it. He said, go on, 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 go on. I said, hey, it rhymes to myself. (laughs) Go on. 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 He turned it over and it said, go on. 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 Go on, go on, go on, go on. And and he said, there's more, but I'm going to quit reading. (laughs) 
Dr. Lee Robertson, when I was a young man, I heard him say, the only key to the Christian life is just don't ever quit. He said, God's never going to quit on you. Don't you quit on him. Okay. I've been up here one hour. Y'all want that Galatians 6 part or are you ready to pray? We can do either one. You want it? Okay. Last thing he turned to. 600 men. The people that were with him. You see it? Good, because I don't know what verse it's in. I'm on this side. Y'all, y'all are the one that built another side of this pulpit, and I'm up here. There's <laughs> a lot of fun out here. Whoa, that's scary. What verse? He and the men that were with him. 600 men. 10. You know what David turned to? He turned to the people that were with him. He had people with him. Folks, stay with the church. Folks, stay with the people of God. Now, I know they were talking about stoning him. He didn't leave them. Things get real bad and we talk about killing each other. (laughs) That's just the truth. But they didn't. They didn't kill each other. And they were all still there. Turn to the people. He turned to the people that were with him. So Galatians 6, 1. Hurry. David recovered all. This is a restoration verse. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, who's going to play the piano tonight? I want our pianist to slip up here. Y'all look at Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. What's that next line? Ye which are spiritual. Restore such a one. Huh. Well, how come the prodigal didn't get restored by everybody around him? Because there wasn't nobody around him. He had left them. He wasn't overtaken in a fault. He chased down sin. You leave all this. You'll have to deal with yourself. Get back with some people. One thing happened with David, even in even in these bad chapters, he had God, he had a measure of God's people with him. Yes, sir. You know why most folk can't be restored to Galatians 6 1? Because they've left. That's right. They left everything. I need to come back and preach that whole verse. Overtaken to sneak up behind you and take you by surprise. For you to run a sin down and tackle it is different than for a fault to overtake you and tackle you. You can softly play. Watch this. I was watching my boy play football in Christian school. I was waiting to pick him up. In this particular school I had in, they'd half crazy. They didn't have any good rules. <laughs> the boys would play tackle football with no holds barred and no pads. 
they don't see this that I'm talking about them, but hey, it happens. It was their first time ever having school. They didn't, there's 10 rules they should have had. And boys blood each other and break bones. It's a great thing to see. I was sitting in the parking lot waiting on the 20 boys over there just playing football and tackling each, slamming each other. It's great. And there's a boy in there faster than my boy and meaner. Preston caught a kickoff, got around three or four guys, and he was going. And old Trey come up behind him. And I was in the car 100 yards away with my windows rolled up. Watch out, boy! <laughs> Nobody but me heard it. And he jumped on him from behind and come down and caught his legs right. Preston ate dirt, smashed his face. It's a great moment in his life. Every boy needs to eat dirt and smash their face. That boy, he was trying just to run a touchdown. and He didn't know what was coming behind him. He was slower than the other one. Sometimes we're trying to run a good race and there's just things better than us, bigger than us. Not better, but things that are can take us down. You know what happened? All of his buddies got around him, helped him up. <laughs> he was in the game with everybody. His teammates and friends. Even the one that took him down helped him up. <laughs> Turn to the people that are with you. Something overtakes you and you get slammed down. There ought to be 600 people around you. <laughs> Tell them, let's go fight. Guys, we've been on the wrong side. Let's go fight now. Let's go whip some people that we're supposed to whip. Had a man, precious man in my life. He was a preacher. He went into sin pretty bad. Deliberately a long time. Worked hard at it. Finally got himself in some bad sin. Could have went to prison. A preacher, teenage girls. Got himself in bad trouble. An old man of God went to see him. said to him young preacher you need to go get five men of God and let them fix your life and he smart aleck quickly responded I don't know five good men of God and he thought he'd won that little dialogue but the old man of God said that's your fault If you don't have five good men of God in your life, that's your fault. And he said, that's probably how you got in the shape you're in. And he said to the young preacher, he said, I got 500 men of God I could turn to today. And I want to tell you all, I got a thousand good brothers and a thousand good preachers. Amen. And 10,000 lined up behind those. 
<laughs> Stay in this thing. Stay close to the right people. If something overtakes you, you ought to be surrounded by people which are spiritual, which can restore you, help you go on. Let's bow our heads. Let's all stand.